my name is uh, Patrick Sudebaker. I co-host a podcast with who I consider uh, one of my uh, favorite people, my mentor, Tony Gavon, and it's called Cave of the Cross Apologetics. Uh, Tony would have been here today, but he escaped to the land of freedom, which is called Texas now. And uh, so not only do you get the less good looking one, but you also get the less intelligent one. So I, when I asked Dave, are you sure you still want me to come? He's like, oh yeah, so I'll all excuses get to, all blame gets to him. So Tony has his doctorate in philosophy and I have a minor in philosophy. When all the soon-to-be criminal justice majors were learning Spanish or self-defense, I was taking classes on what is time or are there other minds in the world? And as we know, the survey is still out on that one. In our show, we take a book of apologetics or theology and we break it down chapter by chapter and explain maybe some of the harder concepts that intimidate someone from picking it up or expand and explain what we're reading. And we invite you into that book club setting in hopes of pulling those books down off your shelf, blowing off as I have many that have accumulated dust that look nice on the shelf and learning about who God is and all that is truth is God's truth. And I learned from the great podcaster and libertarian Tom Woods that you always give your audience just one action item. So if you go to caveofthecross.com, caveofthecross.com, you'll see our links to YouTube or Odyssey for those of us who bemoan any centralization of YouTube. And if you don't want to look at us, you can look at all the audio podcasts that we that we put in audiobook form. And then if you go further down, we have all the books that we've covered. So if you click on the book, it covers all the episodes that we've done on the book, including interviews with the author. And then just a couple books that we've done out of the many is Finding Truth by Nancy Piercy, Tactics by Greg Kokel, Finding Truth in the Culture of Doubt by Andres Kostenberger. And we just finished the great book, What About Evil by Scott Christensen. And then there's also a link on there for our interviews. And we've interviewed people like Nancy Piercy and Greg Kokel and Andres Kostenberger, which was phenomenal for me because he's the person that I have the most amount of books on my shelves and so talking to him was just stellar. It was really awesome. The great Lydia McGrew, Jay Warner Wallace, and a few of my friends from the podcasting world. So we also split up our episodes into short clips so you can easily share them or watch them throughout your week. If you don't want to subject yourself to 35 minutes of us, you can do it in five minute increments. I do book reviews because my opinions are correct and insightful and not just on theology books, but I also review educational books for homeschool families, young adult novels and fiction books from a Christian worldview perspective. I recently reviewed the New York Times bestselling book of 2002, How High We Go in the Dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu. And I talked about while that it was a decent book, that it failed to be both good sci-fi or realistic because of its ignorance of death, individualism, or religion. And it's ironic because it's a collection of personal stories of people dealing with death and how it affects them. But it still was a decent book. For the past three years, we've, just, uh, we've done just under 200 episodes. And so that's why on Monday mornings, if you check the Facebook page, it's usually posted there. But before that, we met for about six years after reconnecting when I came back to Kalamazoo for work. So that shows you just how patient Tony is in dealing with me for the past 10 years. So we were I remember reading Covenantal Apologetics by Scott Oliphant, and there was a chapter that he did on how we should address Muslims in apologetics with giving them the Trinity. And I read it by myself, and I was like, this is incorrect. This is not how you do it. This is not at all how I would do this. And then uh, him and I would meet every Saturday, uh, yeah, every other Saturday, and uh, go Going through that chapter with him, I'm like, this is the only way to do it. I can't believe I haven't seen this before. So again, uh, the, the, the patience that he has with me is 
very kind. <laughs> so this leads me to the topic of my talk today. When Tony and I first met and we found out that we had a shared interest in philosophy, he handed me a copy of Scaling the Secular City by J.P. Moreland. And suddenly I learned that there were these books that combined Christianity and philosophy, and it was called Apologetics, a subject that offered avenues of seeing the historical, cultural, and internal context of the life-changing contents of the Bible. And as apologists, we all know 1 Peter 3.15 reference, but in your heart, honor, that is set apart, Christ the Lord, the ruler of all things, is holy, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for you, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And we talk about this like the defense of court documents, and that's not necessarily all wrong, like the Romans courts would have. But the proper historical context for Peter was in the Old Testament of Isaiah 28, or uh, uh, Isaiah 8, 12 through 15. Do not fear what they fear, nor dread uh, be in dread, but the Lord of hosts, the ruler of all things, him you shall honor as holy, set apart. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And here is God's uh, apologetic. And he will become a sanctuary, and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it, and they shall fall and be broken, and they shall be snared and taken away. We have the answers. We have the truth communicated us, uh, to God in his word, and he has established the most consistent worldview in which we can be justified when we do things like know things through science or through reason and logic, or have an objective moral standard. It is from that top-down approach that provides us the basis of knowledge, and we need to find that foundation on our apologetics on the rock of Christ. The Lord of hosts is our starting point. And Tony didn't just hand me Moreland's book and tell me to read it. He told me to read it and then let him know if I had any questions. And from there, he not is only responsible for another genre of books that's collecting on my bookshelves, which my wife's probably not too happy about, but she, she allows me the, the ability to do that. But also for large movements of spiritual life in trusting in God and more and more over more things and that I can tell you she's happy about. But apologetics isn't the be-all and all of what we should be striving for. To paraphrase 1 Corinthians 3, if we speak in the tongues of Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Latin, but I have no love, I am a noisy new atheist in the YouTube comments. And if I know the ins and outs of the five minimal facts of the resurrection, or am able to name every philosophical movement since Aristotelianism, but I have not love, I am nothing. If, I'm if every response I give is by what standard or the Klom argument, but have not love, I gain nothing. If our apologetics ends at the logos argument and doesn't go further into the ethos action, we are failing to grasp the point of apologetics. But I have to stop here and make two caveats. One, the talk that I'm giving here isn't to call anyone in, out in any field. Uh, I always say that any charge of failure that I talk about on my show is directly addressed to my own failure. When asked to come on to other shows to talk about whatever I want to talk about, I usually pick an area I'm struggling with or wrestling with so that it provides a platform for me to sponge knowledge from other people. And two, not all of us are called to be pastors, but all of us are called to be an apologist. All of us are called to go and make disciples and teaching them to observe all Jesus has commanded us. And we are all called to have an impact on others that result in changed life in Christ. So as to steer the topic, let's look at the two paths of apologetics. Tends to take one is defense and the other is offense, or apologetics for non-believers and apologetics for believers. The first one is probably one that everyone thinks about when we talk about apologetics. So the first reason we do apologetics is to bring people the good news that while there is sin in the world and sin requires judgment of God, there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Jesus Christ. We see Stephen addressing the leaders of his day in their false teaching, but they could not withstand the wisdom of the Spirit with which he was speaking. We see Philip do this with the outcast people of Samaria in Acts 8, and then specifically to the Ethiopian eunuch concerning the foreordained Christ in Isaiah 53. 
Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And we see Paul apologize to the Greeks in the midst of the pagan temple, and proclaim to the Greeks that the altar to the unknown God is the God who made everything and rules over every kingdom of the earth. And these were seen as positions of strength to the Greek and Roman world. For in him we live and move and have our being. He quotes their own poets having the census divinitas. Then he proclaims Christ and gives his apologetic that God has made known by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. And when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them mocked, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. So like Paul, we are expected to be mocked, but some became followers of Paul. Being a follower of Paul, a teacher, he would have directed them in right thinking and right living. He moved followers to action. Like Philip, we reveal scripture as it has been revealed to us and make connections unknown to people who don't have the full context. And Philip's students were driven to action. And as they were going along the road, they came to the some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariots to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. And like Stephen, some of us are called to be seized and executed, but Stephen's followers were scattered, and those who were scattered went about preaching the word, and his message reached the ears of one we know. And they, th th then they cast him out in the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of the young man named Saul. Then he heard the gospel message from Stephen. Our reason to do apologetics to non-believers should also be to critique claims made against the Christian message. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul invokes images of warfare and battle. We have power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The Christian message has never been a call to take the physical sword of man and create servants of God. We aren't carry message carriers of the Pascal's wager type message. Is it better to believe or to die? It's a message of repent and be saved. That is our call to action. And remember in the first Peter 3 charge of with gentleness and respect. We all enjoy watching the Ben Shapiro or our favorite rhetorician get the great one-liners and the thug life rap music starts and the 8-bit sunglasses come down. But the gospel message has little to do with pithy one-liners and more to do with belief and action in honor of the God who saves. The final avenue apologetics address unbelievers is in addressing false teachers. And all of us are called to be protectors of the flock from false teachers. Jude 1, uh, 17 through 23 says, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus. They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt, some others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. These three areas of apologetics and addressing non-believers is not rooted in Bayes' theorem equaling one rather than zero, nor is it found in attempting to empty yourself of everything you can think you can know about everything while you're stashed in a cabin for three days. It must be always rooted in the foundation of the biblical Christian God who has revealed himself through his word and his logos, Christ Jesus. And from there, a call to action is made to those who carry his message along. Apologetics is just as important for believers. We help our brothers and sisters in strengthening their faith, in their sanctification, and in moving from the knowledge of the head to the action of the heart. 
Again, the first is probably what is most attributed to what apologetics is. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you of the first importance, who I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. He gives the apologetic for why to believe the resurrection. Luke does what Paul instructs in that he talks to the witnesses, and we get the third gospel account from Greek Dr. Luke. That's amazing. So striking down 420 alleged Bible contradictions like Dr. Jason Lyle does in keeping faith in the age of reason builds confidence in the inerrancy of God's word, showing the undesigned coincidences in the New Testament like Lydia McGrew does in her Hidden in Plain View shows the historical reliability of the New Testament and providing a solid transcendental argument for who God is like Dr. James Anderson does in Why Should I Believe Christianity is, well, why we should believe Christianity. And of course, all those books we have covered on our show. And while we can learn a great many things from our fellow apologists, we do ourselves a better service of following Charles Spurgeon advice, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. One of the great things about being messengers of God is that we can succeed and fail in confidence that since we are saved by grace through faith and not by works, is the gift of God alone. We can be the conduit that carries along the power of God for the salvation of others. And just with justification, sanctification is also helped by apologetics. John Frame said, The dirty secret of the Christian apologist is this, there is no human argument that is guaranteed to overcome unbelief. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In this life we have two callings. The first is to repent and believe, and the second is to conform our hearts to the heart of Christ. As an apologist, I need to remember it's not about growing my mind alone, but growing my heart. Howard Hendricks, who wrote a phenomenal book called Living by the Book and also as Iron Sharpens Iron on how to be a mentor or being one mentored, he wrote, the word of God was not written to satisfy our curiosity. It was written to change our lives. Again, if I may be so bold as to paraphrase James 2 on this topic, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. That's the Shema. You use the Kalam, the transcendental arguments, all the maximal facts. You have the answers for the theodicy. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. For what comes into our minds flows to our hearts, and the outpouring should be from to our hands and to our feet and to our tongue. For the last avenue that I want to talk about is moving from facts to action. This is not to say that once you read On Guard or Always Ready or when critics ask, you need to start a YouTube show and get out there to compete with every version of Capturing Christianity. However, one of the biggest impacts I've been trying to do in my own personal life of being involved in apologetics is having action points for the books I finish. This happened really when I was reading What About Evil by Scott Christensen on his answer to Theodicy. In there, he had an amazing chapter on how humans write stories because God is a storyteller, as seen in Scripture, and, and factors in that reason that factor into the reason why evil is allowed. As a presuppositionalist, I'm also very keen on talking about worldviews and believe that from one's worldview, people derive action in their daily lives. And I met actually with a friend for breakfast at a, at a breakfast joint that closes at one, and we were there from ten until about one ten when they very nicely kicked us out in true uh, Michigan form. We talked about what is a good story, what makes a good movie, what, what, why do old stories resonate with us? And it was amazing to, to just talk it out with someone who is on his spiritual journey, but who is not a Christian yet, pointing him to who Christ is. 
it's easy to see this when we talk about ethics of things like abortion or assisted suicide or the transgender movement. But what the Christian, what is the Christian view on things like taxation or war or good writing or education of our children? What Tony did by loaning me a book and providing me an avenue to come back for more was an outpouring of apologetics from his life into mine. And he became one of my most impactful mentors, not just in apologetics, but in how I saw him raise his kids or how he spoke to people or how he lived out his life as as a Christian. John Milton Gregory said, the true function of the teacher is to create the most favorable conditions for self-learning. True teaching is not that which gives knowledge, but that which stimulates pupils to gain it. And that's what Tony did for me. And he let me borrow a lot of books in the process, which I'm always appreciative about. Reading them and memorizing the books and the teachers we like in apologetics is the first step we can take. The second is to move from the attainment of knowledge into the action of the knowledge. The first area we should look to put into action, what we learn is in our church, in helping our pastors and elders, and in helping the local body of believers. Colossians 2, 3-8 say that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches and full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am as in the body, yes, I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. From justification, that is the full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, to sanctification, your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ, to disseminating the truth through our lives and the lives of others, walk in him, rooted and built up in him. That's why we see Howard Hendricks write about it in the amazing blessings of mentors and iron sharpens iron. It's why we see John Frame tie his writings back to the church and why he forsook the speaking circuit that would have taken him away from the local body on Sundays. We see the Inklings group uh, with Lewis and Tolkien and others encourage each other and brotherly love to be better writers. In fact, there's a great book by Diana Pavlik Glyer called Bandersnatch that takes the foil of the Inklings and gives you the idea on how to set up a similar type group with a Bible study or younger believers in a book club. And that's why we see Francis Schaeffer start Labrie. Those writers who wrote apologetic guides were all that we all know moved out from facts of theology to application of theology. It's wrong for us to say that the world is more messed up today than it has ever been. Since the fall, God has always planted his remnant who would hold fast to the faith and paddle against the current to stand against the tide of the world. We just have a little bit more in-your-face reality of the world that no longer attributes a Christian heritage facade to their lives. And this makes it easier for us to see who we're talking to and what we're talking against. The world no longer knows a standard of good or evil as everything is permissible. Modern fiction doesn't have evil bad guys. They're misunderstood victims. Heroes are the bad guys you're supposed to root for and are labeled anti-heroes. The new Spider-Man movie shows how the villains aren't bad. With enough science, these guys can find salvation. No need to concern yourself with all the innocent people they killed in Scientia Separimus, in Science We Trust. These past three years in my own ministry, I talked to a number of people who were struggling with fear of death or suicidal tendencies. Where can I tell them hope can be found? The largest increase in homeschooling happened as well because people saw the impact of the worldview in action of those who have captured government schools were having and into what their kids were getting educated into. Should anger be the main driving force in something as important as educating our children? Or is there an application of God's word that provides the better defense for good and correct education? We are seeing the apologetic from the world in action. It's time to give it our own.
The story of humanity is individuals who have impact over great movements in history. Today, our stories involve governments and faceless groups solving the big problems of the story. Those ideas then leach over into real life. Francis Schaeffer again says, we must realize that the Reformation worldview leads to the direction of government freedom, but the humanist worldview with inevitably certainty leads in the direction of statism. This is because humanists having no God must put something at the center and it is inevitably society, government, or the state. This talk isn't one about politics or culture war. My desire is that just how I read God's word and it conforms my heart more and more to the heart of Christ, I am more easily moved by what I read and learn and take in from the Bible, to then take out into the whole world to the unbeliever and to my brothers and sisters in faith. I want to have that same exact desire when I read and learn good apologetics. It drives me to similar action because I ground all good apologetics on the rock of Christ and his word. I do so out of love. And if I can quote Francis Schaeffer one more time, biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. That compassion is one of active, not passive action. Let us be hated by the world as one being one who turns the whole world upside down again, but be looked at by God as good and faithful servant. Thank you for honoring me today with your time and your attention. I appreciate it. Thank you.